Welcome to Sovereign Self, weaving spiritual awakening with the fabric of everyday life. Your host is Zofia Renea Morales. We'll discuss and show you how you can achieve the highest potential in your life through divine wisdom and really live. Now, here is your host, Zofia Renea Morales. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Sovereign Self. I'm Sophia Renee Morales, and I'm here talking with Marshall Adler today, and I will introduce him in just a moment. But first, I want to let you guys know how much I appreciate you tuning in and listening to this show every week and how much how gratified I am that you're spreading the word because our listenership keeps growing and growing, and you keep bringing in more people, more souls who need to hear the kinds of things that we discuss on this show. And I'm so grateful for each and every one of you for tuning in and listening to us. And I love hearing from you. I want to thank all of you who sent emails to AskZofia at TransformationSpace.co. And I've been hearing and getting more feedback from you that it would be really nice to have a virtual community where you can gather and discuss these kinds of issues a little bit more privacy than someplace like the Transformation Space page. So I've heard you, and I am in the process of putting together a community where we can do that. It's going to be called Sovereign Self Fans, and you will get more information on that in the next show. But just something for you to look out for and think about uh, will be coming soon. As I said today, our guest is Marshall Adler. He's been honored and recognized by his peers for excellence in the practice of workman's compensation law. Attorney Marshall Adler has served the people of Florida since 1981. He earned his law degree from Duke University Law School, studying under Professor Professor Arthur Larson, the world's leading expert in workman's compensation law. He brought he thought, sorry, his law, the law was his calling until his world was turned upside down when his 32-year-old son, Matthew, died by suicide on July 22nd, 2018. As he moved through the grief and adjustment into his new normal, Marshall coped by getting very involved in the suicide survivor and suicide prevention community. He is now the host of the radio show, What My Son's Death by Suicide Taught Me About Living. And that airs each Wednesday, Tuesday. It's Tuesday, Tuesday. Tuesday, that's right. At 1 p.m. Eastern and 10 a.m. Pacific on the Empowerment Network on Voice America. So welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so happy to have you with me, Marshall. Thank you very much for inviting me. Really appreciate that very much. So I know a lot of people get surprised when I bring attorneys on the show because that's not traditionally a very spiritually <laughs> inclined profession. Uh, tell me a little bit about what life was like before this turning point happened for your family. Well, we have two sons and they were four years apart. And as they were growing up, it was just amazing seeing your children go from infants to toddlers to adolescents to young men and you see the progression of them changing it's really sort of fascinating seeing this but as your children grow up you realize that the sense that you had when they were little that you would tuck them into bed they were totally safe and sound until you woke up the next morning was getting less and less and less because the one certainty about life is uncertainty you never know truly you never know what's going to happen 
And as your children grow older, you realize it's sort of like the uh, sands of an hourglass turned upside down. The safety and control that you would like to have to keep your children safe from the harm that the world can inflict upon them becomes less and less. So we had, we were a very close family. My extended family is all very close. My parents were wonderful parents. I've got great uh, wife, children, siblings. We had a very, very, very happy family life. And I always liked doing the best job for my clients as an attorney. It was always important to me to be the best lawyer I could be. But the essence of my existence has been and always will be my family. Mm. Nothing was more important than my family. I know some people have their job as their life. I just realized my job was a means to an end. It wasn't my life. Whenever I ask people, what do I do? I wouldn't say I'm a lawyer. I'm saying I'm a father. I'm I'm a husband. And that was the biggest priority to me. And I'm 63 years old now, and I wouldn't change anything that I did that way because no matter how long you're going to live, each one of us has a finite time on this planet. Yeah. Some are going to be longer than others, but you better make the most of every second because it's finite. You don't know, you don't know what the number is, but there's a number out there. Yes, exactly. So exactly and if you're wasting so. those, if you're wasting those numbers, you're not going to get those numbers back. Now I have a question for you. Because I know law is a very intense, very competitive workplace, <laughs> generally it, speaking. It's a contact sport. Yes, it is, isn't it? <laughs> so while you were, what I want to say, younger in your profession and making your family a priority, how did you deal with pushback? Um, or was there a pushback that you had to deal with? Well, let me tell you, I went, I'm from Buffalo, New York. Big Buffalo Bills fan. Even though, even though the Bills yesterday, this lost yesterday, the Patriots, they're still three and one. They're still doing pretty well. But growing up in Buffalo is just different. You see, I think you see the world a little differently. And you just realize family is the most important thing. I ended up going to Duke Law School, as, as you mentioned. Duke University's you know, phenomenal place. I'm a huge Duke basketball fan. And it was very intense going there. And a lot of, the, a lot of my classmates wanted to make their law practice, the epicenter of their life. I never wanted to do that. Never. The nature of the beast, I ended up working for a very large law firm when I came out of law school because that's where you sort of like get drafted by the NFL. You're going to go where you're going to go. Yeah, I, yeah. You. That's where you earn your chops. <laughs> right, right, right. I was at a very big law firm. There actually it was a nice place to work, but again, very competitive. And I just knew I was not going to put all my eggs into the law basket. It just, if I was going to do this, I was going to do it my way. I want to do it ethically. I want to do it honestly. And if they like that, fantastic. If they didn't like that, so be it. I'll move on to somewhere else. As it turned out, I think that was the best thing I could do because you know, Abraham Lincoln you know, said, all you, a lawyer, you don't make anything. So all you have is your reputation, is your stock and trade. That's what Abraham Lincoln said. If you got a bad reputation, you can't get it back. I spent my entire legal profession making sure my reputation was for honesty and highest ethics. And if people want a lawyer like that, great. If they didn't want a lawyer like that, that's fine too. It didn't hurt my feelings. There are plenty of other lawyers right. who can go. <laughs> right, right. I, I had no problem with that. But I also knew that I was going to 
not let the, the tail wag the dog. My law job was a job. I'm not trying to be phony here. I, 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 view ourself, I view my job as a lawyer no different than being a plumber. If you have a stopped up toilet at three o'clock in the morning, you don't want to call a lawyer. You want to call a plumber. Right. You say, who do you want at three o'clock in the morning if your toilet bowl is stopped up? The lawyer is, the most, is not the most important person in the world. The plumber is. Mm-hmm. Got a real important job to do in that situation. And lawyers got important jobs to do in that situation. But it's not the be all and end all of my existence. My family was. And I never, ever put my law practice in front of me. And the way that I did it, my, my father was a foot surgeon podiatrist and he never 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 came home cranky came home tired I, I never saw him having a bad day he was the happiest guy in the world and as a child seeing that it was just wonderful to have a father like that and growing up I just assumed well everybody's father's like this and then I realized <laughs> nobody's father's <laughs> like this very few fathers and like that <laughs> it was so unusual and my father was such a good role model for me that that's what I wanted to follow. And my family would tell you that I never, ever, ever had the office come home. There were times I had to work and I would do the work when I had to, to get the job done for my clients. But it would be again in a situation where it wasn't taking away from the family time that was the most important thing for me and my family. And that was just the way I lived my life. That is wonderful. I, I love it when I see people who have their priorities in order <laughs> and and that live accordingly because many of us, what do I want to say, we talk a good game and then when push comes to shove, it, it can be hard to uh, put your priorities in that order. So I, I salute you for that. Oh, thank you. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So tell me a little bit about what life was like with your kids growing up. Tell me a little bit about your son. We have two sons, and they were four years apart, both wonderful sons, but completely different. One was artistic, very uh, much into movies like Matt, who passed away, was a walking Wikipedia of movie knowledge. If you want to know what the best picture was in 1957 and who the director was and who won for best actor. He would tell you bridge and river Kwai directed by David lean, Alec Guinness won best actor. And you'd say, what? He just knew this off the top of his head. He was phenomenal. And he was it's like playing name that tune with my husband. Oh my God. <laughs> it's just, his it, 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 brain just worked that way. He was incredible. Yeah. We came to movie knowledge and him and his younger brother, David, David was much more athletic, uh, much more into sports, but they always got along and they always loved each other and they both accepted the differences and really enjoyed the differences because there were times where David would get a lesson on the fine art of movie appreciation from his older brother, Matt, would get insights that were so unique and so unusual that it just opened up a new world to him. And, it, you know, Matt, on the other hand, was not that interested in sports, but his younger brother, David, was a very good tennis player, and he supported that. Not that he cared about it, 
<laughs> he supported that because he loved his brother. Exactly. And it's sort of like a synergy between the two of them that it was like pieces of a jigsaw puzzle that don't look like they fit, but they do. Mm-hmm. And after Matt's passing, it's amazing how I've seen so many similarities in the two boys that I never saw when Matt was here. I think you see things differently. Mm-hmm. And after, you know, the old saying, you don't realize what you have till it's gone. We always knew life was precious. Like my, unfortunately, my parents had two children die. Two brothers passed away. And I really didn't know them because they were, one was younger than me, one was older than me. And my parents talked about losing children and I knew it could happen, but I never thought it happened to us. Yeah. And that's what everybody thinks in life, which is true until it isn't true. Exactly. <laughs> exactly and, right. And, and the one thing we had with our kids growing up, we, we, we knew and we had many good friends who did lose children. And we just thought they'd be the absolute worst thing that happened to anybody. And guess what? They were right. It is the worst thing that happened to anybody. Yes. And our friends who lost children after Matt passed away reached out to us. And my wife and I, Debbie, made a decision that the rest of our lives, we're going to be reaching out to people we know who lose children because, unfortunately, it's absolutely guaranteed more parents will lose children. Yes. Life is not fair. Life is not just. It is what it is. And unfortunately, parents have been losing children for a millennium. Yes. And it's not going to stop. It's the biggest heartbreak and tragedy you can have. And all you can do is support somebody who unfortunately has to go through that. We never thought it'd be us, but it is. And as a tribute to our son, Matt, we want to do everything possible to help somebody navigate that because there's, there's no rule book for that. You don't bring home a baby and say, okay, what am I going to do when this child dies before I do? Nobody thinks that. You think you're going to pass before your child. And our son, Matt, was just the kindest, nicest, funniest, really funny kid. He just was hilarious. And I just view his 32 years on this planet as a total, complete gift to us as parents And I think our son, David, believes that it was a gift for him as a brother because he was the most unusual, interesting person I've ever met in my life. He just happened to be my son. Mm. That is beautiful. So tell me a little bit about what went on. Were there any warning signs leading up to this? The height of irony is that Matt was the happiest time of his life. He had moved out to California about three years before he passed away. He went to film school here in Orlando, in uh, Florida, Orlando, Florida, moved out to California with some friends from, from Orlando and went to film school there. And he was actually working on different projects with some of his classmates at film school. He was living in this wonderful house in Oceanside, California, literally looking at the Pacific Ocean. We went out to see him at wonderful friends. And it was the happiest time of his life. It's almost like a movie that my mother was passing away and Matt came to say goodbye to 
my mother because she knew he was going into hospice and it was early July of 2018. And we never thought in a million years that he actually was ending up saying goodbye to us because the morning that I drove him back to the airport to go to San Diego because he had some business to attend to, I had a very philosophical conversation with him because my mother was dying. In fact, my mother passed away two days after Matt passed away. So I lost my son and my mother within 48 hours of each other. Wow. And I had this incredible philosophical conversation with Matt. And he just told me that it was the happiest time of his life and that he truly realized that it's not what happens to you in life. It's just how you deal with that. And as a parent, that's music to your ears. You want your children to cope with whatever life throws at them, good, bad, or indifferent. And he was doing that. And he was happy, and it was just so wonderful to hear that. And I gave him a big hug, and he told me, well, I'll see you soon. And it was the last time I ever saw him because he was going to come back from his funeral. And I've said this before, like Matt always talked about the great movie directors, the ones that were so many times in a Hollywood movie, the director will say cut, and the looks like the people in the movie are going to live happily ever after. Matt would always say, happily ever after depends where the director says cut. Mm. If you keep the film rolling, they're going to have illness. They're going to have tragedy. They're going to have things that they never saw coming because that's life. And if you took the film of Matt's life and said cut, right when I was hugging him, leaving the airport to fly back to San Diego, you would say, what a wonderful, happy ending. This is a young man that is so happy doing everything he wanted. He always wanted to move to California, always wanted to be involved with movies. He had great friends. And what parent doesn't want to see their child happy? And it was the happiest time of his life. And after that hug, he was gone within two weeks. Wow. Which is, we thought was such an aberration. But what we've learned through our journey with suicide that this is unfortunately the norm it's incredible how many times we've heard the same story from other family from other people that lost family members of suicide saying they just seemed so happy they seemed like they were doing so well and then what i've learned is it's not what you see you know i've, I've said this story many times that Everybody knows the story that the Titanic was destroyed by the iceberg. Only 10% of the iceberg was above the waterline. That wasn't the part that destroyed the Titanic. It was the 90% that they couldn't see below the waterline that ripped the luxury liner apart and was so deadly. And I think with people, unfortunately, all you really see is the 10% above the waterline. That's not the part that's going to be dangerous for people. It's the 90% under the waterline that you can't see because people don't want you to see it. Exactly. Exactly. So um, do you have an idea of what was below the waterline for him? Matt, you know, so many comedians just see the world differently. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, who was funnier than Robin Williams? Nobody. Do you remember how Robin Williams passed away? Yeah. He committed suicide. And 
we were, it was ironic. We were actually watching an HBO special about Robin Williams' life the weekend Matt passed away. And the movie ended with his suicide. And I was just, I did not hear from Matt that day. And he always was very uh, consistently in contact with us. Mm-hmm. And I just got a really strange feeling that something bad happened. And I was 100% right. And it was, it was like out of a movie. Yeah. Not a not a, not a good not a good ending. <laughs> not not the ending we're hoping for. No. I'm going to break right here for a moment. We're going to go off and and uh, allow the commercial sponsors to do their thing. Uh, if you all want to talk with myself or Marshall um, offline or after the show, you can find me on Facebook at Zofia Renea. That's Z O F I A R E N N E A. And if you search Marshall Adler, M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L-A-D-L-E-R on Facebook, you can connect with us and direct message. I know this is kind of sensitive stuff, so you may not want to just put it on a post someplace. (laughs) And uh, hang with us. We'll learn more about what was uh, under the waterline for Marshall's son when we return from the break. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. Are you ready to move to your next level? Listen for Empowering Women, Transforming Lives with host Rebecca Hall Greider. Each show will focus on a central topic with discussion, guests, and your questions being featured. Our show is perfect for women who feel a call in their heart to step out in a bigger, more powerful way in their life and just need some encouragement, inspiration, and practical steps to support them on their journey. Empowering Women, Transforming Lives can be heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. And join us for a replay of the show on Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Sovereign Self with Sophia Renea Morales. We'd love to hear from you on the show today. Call in to 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or if you'd prefer, send an email to asksophia at transformationspace.co. Now, back to Sovereign Self. Thank you for hanging in through the break. This is Sophia Renee Morales. I'm here talking to Marshall Adler. Before we went on break, he was telling us a little bit about what was under the waterline for his son. What was that unseen part of the iceberg that was causing trouble? So, Marshall, take it away. Matt, ever since he was young, he did tell us that he did battle chronic depression. And 
it's funny how looking back, I'm amazed at what a tough son of a gun he was. Like our younger son, David, again, was a very good tennis player. And if you know anything about tennis, you're out there on an island by yourself Sorry, in a sense. I didn't quite catch that. There's, Could you please repeat it? <laughs> Siri oh, wants to help us out here. <laughs> Siri came out of nowhere. What I'm saying is that when you're a tennis player, the mental toughness you need to be a tennis player is very, very difficult for a lot of people to deal with because there's no teammates to blame. Oh, you missed that. You missed that. You're out there on an island by yourself, win, lose, or draw. And so people thought that our son, the tennis player, David, was so mentally tough. And after Matt's passing, David had an incredible, insightful comment saying that with the chronic depression that Matt dealt with on a daily basis for 32 years, he was 100 times tougher dealing with that than David ever was running after a yellow tennis ball. Mm -hmm. And his friends in California, after Matt passed away, I talked to them and I was blunt. I said, were we just delusional that he seemed so happy? And they all said he was incredibly happy. So of course, somebody would say, well, if he was incredibly happy, he never committed suicide. Not true. No, it's apples and oranges. Yeah, well, and it's, it's an interesting thing with depression because there are like strata in depression and there are levels that are so low that as much as you want to perhaps commit suicide, you can't get up the oomph to do it. And it's only when your mood starts to lighten that you actually reach a state where that's actionable. If that well, makes it, any sense at all. <laughs> see, I, I think what his, it was interesting. I, he had wonderful friends in California, wonderful friends. And one of them made a comment to me that I think was so insightful. And they said, you know, for one thing, anybody knew Matt personally, the first thing they said, the way they always described Matt was really funny, not just funny, really funny. Everybody that knew him, he was just hilarious. He always made people laugh. He was super intelligent, super quick, and he just saw life through a prism that made it interesting to get his observations. So he would just tell me things that break me up, text me things, and constantly do it. He just thought it was always funny. And his friends in California said that he was always like that, but that didn't negate the daily battle he had with depression. Yeah. Although he was funny, although everything was going on outwardly so well in his life, it didn't stop the depression. The way that I, I make an analogy, you're in Arizona. Mm -hmm. John McCain, we all know, is a wonderful hero from Arizona. He died from a fatal brain disease, of brain cancer. I think, I think it was a glioblastoma brain tumor. Yeah. The same thing that took Ted Kennedy. And the last days of his life, you see, he was happy, he was functioning, and he was grateful for what he had but it didn't stop the brain cancer from taking his life. Correct. And I think suicide the same way. You can be happy, you can be functioning at a very high level, and you can be grateful for everything that you have, but it doesn't mean that you're going to stop the, if you want to call it a brain disease, like a, glio, like, like a glioblastoma brain tumor, you can call suicide a brain disease that way because whatever process is happening, it's inside out, not outside in. Mm -hmm. That's why it's so difficult. You know, we all know that Anthony Bourdain 
committed suicide about a month before Matt did. Yeah. Wonderful journalists going around the world with CNN, have these fantastic experiences. People say, why would he do that? Insightful, clever, yeah. Unbelievable. Funny. Had a great sense Unbelievably of funny. Yeah. Kate Spade committed suicide three days before he did. An unbelievably successful businesswoman, supposedly the nicest, funniest person in the world. So again, the 10% above the waterline, it looks fantastic. These people have these wonderful, happy, productive, meaningful lives, but the 90% below the waterline, what we don't see, that's what ended up taking their lives. So with Matt, one of his friends just said something that really hit home. He said, take your worst day of depression, multiply, multiply, multiply that by 100, deal with that every single day of your life, and see how much energy you have to keep on fighting that. Do you want to fight it for 60 years, 70 years, or does your tank just run out of gas? Yeah. And that's the way it was described to me with Matt that I become very philosophical that uh, I had a cousin of mine that passed away at age 37 from stomach cancer. And he was a brilliant, brilliant doctor. He went to Princeton undergrad was on staff at University of Pennsylvania Medical School. He was a, one of the top ophthalmologists dealing with macro degeneration research. His mother, my aunt, told me that stomach cancer is very painful. And he went 16 days from diagnosis to death, 37 years old with three children, 37 years old with three children. And she saw him fighting to stay alive. We just had no chance to beat stomach cancer. He, Whatever mental toughness you have, you're not going to beat a glioblastoma, a glioblastoma brain tumor. You're not going to beat like like John McCain, or Ted Kennedy, and he couldn't beat stomach cancer. It just got him. Mm. He told me of all the things that people told me after Matt's passing. This really resonated with me. She said his name was Jeff. She said, Marshall, my son Jeff was a gift from God for 37 years, and I just didn't want to see him in pain any longer. Yeah. Matt was a gift from God for 32 years. As a loving parent, you just don't want to see him in pain any longer. And so what, whatever anybody told me, it was helpful, but that really sort of hit the nail on the head that Matt made the most loving, kindest, caring 32 years on the planet that he could have possibly done. He had all these gifts. The one gift he didn't have was longevity. Yes. And I think he knew that. And I think he was fine with it. Like he just always, you know, being in the movies and the arts, he always told me, said, you want to have the audience wanting more. Don't stay too long. Mm -hmm. Being the father of Matt and, and the family of Matt, you always want more. And Matt would say, it doesn't work out that way. You want... If you're a great entertainer, you want the audience to give you a standing ovation requesting for one more encore. One more, yeah. But they won't get it. And in the totality of someone's life, I've said this before, I just feel so fortunate having a son like Matt because I never met anybody like him. He just saw the world so differently and as I mentioned, the title of my show is what my son's suicide 
taught me about life. And when he taught me about life, he just taught me how tough he was. I never really understood what he dealt with, with depression until his passing. I never really dealt with depression in my life. You lose a child, guess what? Yeah, get, it's a crash depressed. course right, in depression. Right, right. And I will tell you, if this is what Matt battled all those years, he's 100 times tougher than I ever was. Yeah. Not even close. Yeah, I, I can certainly relate to that. I've struggled with depression most of my adult life as well. Uh, in fact, it in my case, we figured out what the cause of it was, which is I don't have the right genetic makeup for my body to produce the chemicals that it needs to properly balance the brain so that you feel that lightness, that opposite of depression feeling. And that was one of the biggest blessings that I ever had was when they sequenced my DNA and said, oh, this Mao A gene you have is broken. Here, have some RNA drops. And I was able to, with the RNA drops, get off of antidepressants, which weren't really doing all that much for me either. And it's, it's been an amazing space to be, to be able to say, I am no longer depressed. It's an amazing, amazing place to be but I understand how heavy that load is. And as much as you want to get to the other side, as much as you're, you feel like you almost might be able to reach that, that bar of, I don't know what to call it, well-being, okayness, to get out from under that crushing weight, um, you're just like two-tenths of an inch short of it. It's interesting because yeah. I, you know, Matt went through so many different modalities to help him with depression. And he was very blunt. He just said, this stuff's not really helping. He yeah. goes, I'm just, I'm going to do it on my own because he, he was so smart that he knew what, if you go to a therapist, what they're going to ask before they, they even asked, asked it. it. Yeah. He knew exactly what the whole process was. Again, he just was incredibly intelligent and he just, saw that this was just something, it was all good and well, but it was sort of like putting a Band-Aid on a infection. Yeah. It's really not going to cure it. It might help it, it might close it up, but it's not going to cure it. And I think he, as part of his maturation process, just realized, well, this was the cards that I was dealt in life, chemical, whatever you want to call it, and I'm going to do the best I can do with the cards that I were dealt that I was dealt. And he absolutely lived the most wonderful life that God gave him for 32 years. And again, I would just so, because people have asked me, you know, how do you view having a child who takes their own life at 32? And I'll just say, thank God we have for 32 years. It was a gift. We refuse to be bitter. We refuse to be angry at anybody, be angry at God. It is, you know, how do you look at the water pitcher of life? Is it half full or half empty? We choose to view it as being half full. And with the sun like Matt for 32 years, it wasn't half full. It was 100% full. Yeah. He was an incredible person. Wonderful. So would, would you share with us a little bit about how events played out after you put him on the plane back to California? 
Well, what happened is the day before he passed away, I had a phone call with him and hilarious. He just made me laugh. He just always, the last conversation I had with him, I had tears rolling down my eyes. He just was so, I mean, to this day, I still, I'm laughing what he said right now. The next day I got a text from him that he was going to, you know, girlfriend coming over, a girl coming over to take a shower and he was going to call me tomorrow. That's Friday, it's Friday, July 20th. And we usually never did not hear from him the next day, the 21st and Saturday, we didn't hear from him, which was very unusual. We really didn't think about it until that Saturday night when uh, we were watching the Robin Williams movie. And that's when I got a really weird feeling. I asked my wife and my son if they heard from Matt that day and they didn't. So we actually had to call the police to do a wellness check and they went to his apartment and they said, nobody answered. And I said, can you go and knock down the door? They said, no, we got to go uh, and just leave a note that if he's there to please call his parents. So that night I went to sleep and I dreamt that he called saying he went to a concert or something or went to LA with a friend or something. I said, great. But I woke up I looked at my phone. There was no call. Mm. So when I woke up Sunday morning, I knew I had to call the police to get into his apartment. And we had to call a, again, it was three hours time difference on a Sunday morning, trying to get, the police said they would only go in the apartment if the maintenance man opened up the apartment for him, to, for the police to come in. And when I finally got hold of the maintenance man, I said, will you please give the police the keys to get in? The maintenance man told me that he gave the, police the keys well over an hour ago mm. and I knew that he was gone then because if he wasn't there they would have called us and the next thing we got a call was from the coroner oh, and she no. said the coroner was this very very wonderful person and she just said you know she told us the man passed away and she told me she said your son was this wonderful peaceful loving person and I asked her I said how do you know that she says my job is to figure out people's lives through their death. And she just told me that when she saw Matt, he was fine with everything. She just felt it was his time to go. And she was very, very helpful because he was 3,000 miles away. And we had to bring him back and have the funeral here. And when we were at the funeral home, picking out a headstone for our son, I got the call that my mother passed away. Aww. And I just started laughing. I said, this is like a black comedy. Matt and my parents would have thought this was hilarious if it wasn't happening to us. And we had to... They, they, they probably did think it was hilarious. They're probably right. <laughs> They're on the <laughs> other side having laughing, a good laughing, hoo-ha. Saying, <laughs> saying, this, is, this, is, this is so absurd. My wife and I, Debbie, we had to literally buy a plot for a 13 year old son. And I said, Oh, the heck with it. They got a white, they got a, they got a, they got a sale here. Let's while, while we're here, let's just buy plots for us. And we'll just see if we get them on sale. Yeah. But buy we, one, get one. Right. Right. It was, <laughs> it was, it was just, you know, right next to my parents. And what we did is we were, wanted to see where our son was going to be laid to rest, even though I knew it was right next to my parents plots. I wanted to see it. And we were, just looking at his plot, you're numb. And that's when I 
turned to Debbie and I just said, we're going to take a vote right here, right now. We are going to make a decision as to... Okay, hang on. I'm going to okay. pause you right okay. here. No We're problem. going to hear this decision when okay. we get back from the break. You can find me on Twitter at Zofia Renea, Z-O-F-I-A-R-E-N-N-E-A. Um, and Marshall, as I said, you can find him on Facebook. Are you on LinkedIn also, Marshall? Yes, I am. All right. You can search for Marshall Adler on LinkedIn as well and hook up with him there if you're more of a LinkedIn person. But hang with us through the break and we'll be right back. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. There's a new force to be reckoned with in talk radio. It's not just talk radio. Hosted by LaTanya Jr. and co-host Tina Wynn and Tony Brown. Not Just Talk Radio is like a superhero, inspiring, problem-solving, and informing. Packed with action-provoking conversations from news, movements, and social and politics issues. This program is about a wide range of voices and fresh points of view from experts, celebrities, and you, the listener. Not Just Talk Radio is broadcast live Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Get ready for High Vibe In It with hosts Lindsay Robinson and Kelsey Aida. This is an all-new look at self-empowerment and lifestyle design. If you are still trying to figure out the law of attraction, spirituality, self-love, and more, we'll break it down for you. You can create the life of your dreams and own your power. Listen for High Vibe In It. We're live every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. This will be one hour you will make time for. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Sovereign Self with Sophia Renea Morales. We'd love to hear from you on the show today. Call in to 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or if you'd prefer, send an email to asksophia at transformationspace.co. Now, back to Sovereign Self. Thank you for hanging in with us through the break. This is Sophia Renea, and I'm here talking to Marshall Adler. Before we went on break, he was describing uh, standing in the cemetery, looking at the plot, and um, had a moment of decision with his wife. So tell us a little bit more about the decision. Well, what we talked about, I, I just knew we're obviously at a crossroads. We're literally looking at final race resting place for a 13 year old son something we never ever 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 thought would happen and i know that in life you can always go one way or the other you know the old yogi bear joke when you come to fork in the road take it <laughs> well this literally was a fork in the road in the sense that i will tell you that we have talked to many people who have lost children, whether to suicide or for any reason. And I've had very in-depth conversations with people that to this day, they would just tell me, they're not sure they want to go on. And 
you would never understand that unless you lost a child and you mm-hmm. think, oh, that's crazy. Why would you want to uh, compound a tragedy by taking your own life? But when you lose a child, I see how some people would see that. And you, you lose a chunk of your future in a lot of ways. And yourself. You as a child, yeah. It's part of yourself. Yeah. And I told Debbie, I said, that is an option that people do, and people do explore that. It's horrible, it's terrible, and I don't want to do that, but that is an option. Another option is to be bitter, be mad at everybody in the world, be mad at God. And I said, I don't want to do that. And I said, the third option is to realize we had this incredible son who was so loving and was loved by so many people. Like I, at his eulogy, again, I threw in some, a lot of movie quotes because that was Matt. And if you remember the last, one of the last scenes of the Wizard of Oz, when the wizard gave the Tin Man his heart. You know, he said, he goes, the heart's never going to be practical until they can make one that's unbreakable. And he mm-hmm. said, the, you're not judged, your heart is not judged by how you love. It's judged by how much you're loved by others. Mm-hmm. And I said at Matt's eulogy that the life he led would have made the Tin Man and the Wizard of Oz really proud because he was loved by so many people. And I told Debbie, my wife, that our choice is to take that internal goodness that he had and make our life a tribute to continue that because he can't continue anymore. He's not here. Yeah. And I said, we got to take a vote right here, right now, and then not look back. We got three choices. The first choice I said would be horrible that some people think they just don't want to go on. The second choice is they will go on, but they're just so embittered and it's not something that I want to do or take this as a lifelong tribute to our son. As long as we are on this planet taking breaths, we want to be the best people we can be as a tribute to our son because he did that against great odds that we didn't even know about for 32 years. And if he can do that, we can do that. We have to do that. And that's what we're trying to do. That's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. What advice do you have for the people out there who've lost someone to suicide, whether it's a child or a parent, a brother, sister, cousin, coworker, how, how do you begin to navigate that? I know a lot of people feel like they should have been able to see it coming. They should have been able to do something to stop it. I will say this, that we've gone through support groups for grief, generally, not just suicide. We've also gone through a very, very, very excellent uh, suicide support group called HALOS, H-A-L-O-S, Healing After Loved Ones Suicide. And we've talked to many, many, many people. And I think the idea of control is an illusion and a delusion. Yes. If you could have stopped it, you would have. You didn't because you can't. And that 
I will, I'll tell you that after Matt's passing, I've had so many people come to me and tell me about loved ones that they've lost by suicides. Or I've had many other friends of mine come to me and tell me they're concerned about a loved one, about a potential suicide. And you remember that old, uh, there was a movie, The uh, the Horse Whisperer? Yeah, vaguely, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't use this as a joke, but it's almost like I feel like the suicide whisperer. That people think I've got the magic sauce, the inside information to prevent this. I don't. There is none. If you look at the suicide rates in this country, they're horrific. A, the veteran suicide rates are about 20 a day. So since we've been on this show, statistically, probably a veteran took a suicide since the beginning of the show, just statistically speaking. Yeah. How horrific is that? These people are, are our best people. We're losing our best and our brightest to suicide. So whatever we're doing as a society, it is not working. So for anybody to think, oh, I can stop this. I know more than every other person on the planet. And if I didn't stop it, I should have guilt for the rest of my life. That is not a healthy way to look at it. Because for one, it's not true. If you could have stopped it, you would have. You didn't because you can't. And it's just negative energy. What we did is we went right into the grief program we went to is called Grief Share. I'm Jewish. Today's Jewish New Year's. Went to temple today like a good Jewish boy. And this grief shear was run at a Christian church, a Protestant church. Mm -hmm. And the people there were extremely nice. And whatever religious differences there are when it comes to this, who cares? The whole thing. I'm with you, brother. (laughs) Who cares? Religion is supposed to, to, to unite people. And the people we dealt with were wonderful people. I've become very, very close with them. And we just knew that this was a journey that we were going to be on the rest of our lives. And I think it was uh, Confucius that once said, you know, a thousand mile trip begins with the first step. Yes. And, and our first step was meeting grief head on. So many people say, oh, I don't want to deal with grief. Well, if you're on this planet, I'll give you a newsflash. You're going to deal with grief. Yeah, it, it's going to happen it's at going some to happen. point because none of us get out of here alive. No, it just, either you're going to pass away and people are going to grieve you or you're going to live and loved ones and friends are going to die. I, I guarantee yeah. that. I will, I'll give you a guarantee in writing that everybody that you know, you love, will die, as you will. It's just reality. So grief is a process that we didn't want to avoid. We wanted to deal with it head on because we knew we would never get through the process to live a functioning, meaningful, and hopefully happy life. Because if we didn't deal with it directly, yeah, you're not the going anywhere. Take the by the horns, exactly. You're, you're hamstring a treadmill. You're running. You're not getting anywhere. So we thought that the grief process was an obstacle course for us. We had to go through it to get to the other side. And the one thing that we've learned, again, we're now 14 months since Matt's p- passing and we're still newbies, but I've had many people who've told us that the thing about time is that the waves of the frequency of the waves of grief over time become less, but the wave height never changes. Mm. 
when you get that wave of grief, it's like it just happened. I could see that. Like, I'll be driving on the interstate, and then a song will pop up. Matt was phenomenal, also about music. Beatles song. You know, he loved, uh, when he was a little boy, he loved the movie Yellow Submarine, the Beatles' 1968, great movie. And a song will pop up, and I'll think about him as a little boy. And I'll be on the interstate and just get hit like a stone wall of grief. And it's been 14 months out. It's not as frequent as it was 14 days out. But the wave height, it doesn't change. It'll never change. It still slams you. It'll never change. And and I, I think... For somebody that's going through the process, you got to realize we're all different. There's no one size fits all, and there's no rules. Be good to yourself. Be good to your loved ones. Give yourself a break. There's no timetable. There's no perfect way to go through this. And make your grief a tribute to your loved one. That's what we did, and that's been helpful. That's our game plan, and hopefully it helps us, and hopefully it help help others also. I, I think it will. Some of the best advice I got around grief came from a counselor I've been working with uh, who basically said, jump into the deep end of the pool. Feel all the feels. Whatever it is, let it in, let it out. Uh, allow people to witness it. It's okay. It's not weakness. Um, because just smashing it down, hiding it, running away, and hoping it'll evaporate on its own doesn't doesn't get you anywhere. Doesn't work. Right, right. You have to move forward in life. I mean, if again, I just because people think you lose a child that you're going to be damaged the rest of your life, and me and my family, we want to do everything we can to shatter that myth. You can lead happy, productive lives that, again, are tribute to our son. And I think everybody should think about that when you lose a loved one. Make your life a tribute to the one you lost. Yeah, this is a beautiful, beautiful, constructive way to move forward. I love that. It, it can be hard to get there. I, I'm impressed that you've gotten to this level of clarity where you can speak uh, without choking up. And you know, I still choke up. <laughs> be able to tell the stories um, because it, it takes me a long time to get there. I'm very impressed with how far you've come in your grieving process. The choking up is funny out. because sometimes I'll just be at lunch with friends or dinner with friends and then something will happen. And again, it comes when you least expect it. You could build all the, all the defense mechanisms you could possibly think of to prevent this from happening. They're going to get blown away. It's just going to happen and just realize that's part of the process. Yeah. Don't fight it. Absolutely. That's beautiful. So for all of you out there, if you'd like to hear more on this topic, if you'd like to explore it further, you have a few options. Uh, As we mentioned before, starting tomorrow, Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern and 10 a.m. Pacific on the Empowerment Network. What, 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 one o'clock Eastern. One o'clock. One o'clock Eastern. One o'clock Eastern, right. 10 a.m. Pacific. Right, right. Thank you. Uh, Voice America Empowerment Network, you can catch Marshall's show, and that will be a weekly show that will explore this in much greater depth and from a lot of different angles that we don't have available to us today. You can also reach out to myself at AskZofia at TransformationSpace.co, or you can reach out to 
uh, Marshall Adler. He's on Facebook and LinkedIn, as we mentioned earlier. And you can Google Marshall Adler. And it's very clear it's the Florida <laughs> Workman's Compensation right, Attorney. Right. That's the guy you want to be talking to. <laughs> right. That's me. So love and blessings to all of you out there. I know this grief is one of the most trying things that we go through in this life. And it can be hard sometimes to find a safe space. That's part of the reason that I wanted to bring Marshall forward to y'all today. He holds amazing space and is a great set of ears if you need someone to talk to or connect with, as am I, um, she says, with a modicum of humility. (laughs) (laughs) You're very nice. You're very easy to talk to. You truly are. You're very kind, loving person. Thank you so much for being with us today, Marshall. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. And all you out there in listener land, I love you. I appreciate you. And until next week, go out and live soul first. Thank you for being a part of our program this week. Sovereign Self can be heard live every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Please join host Sophia Renea Morales again next week right here 